don't know about anybody else, but that was uh, that was good for me this morning. Uh, let's uh, you know what? Let's start with prayer this morning. I feel that there is a spirit in this room that that uh, we need to acknowledge. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence in this room, for sending your spirit. Lord, we pray right now that you would you would move on us, move on our hearts, Lord, that we would honor you with everything that we do that this would be a fragrant offering to you in our worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is Rob Kendall. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I actually have the privilege as one of the pastors here. I actually get to kind of set the vision for the church, and I get to do the preaching, so that's kind of the fun part. I, uh, I wish I could play guitar and sing like Rob, and, and we could switch places, but... That's just not, uh, that's not in the cards right now. So, but uh, we are, we are in the middle, or actually we're in week four of a five-week series. Um, answering questions that my wife and I have heard over the last year when we moved to Cape Coral to start this church. Week one, if you've been with us, if you're with us on Facebook or Anchor or Spotify, whatever it is, week one was, um, why a new church in Cape Coral? We had that question a lot. Week two, we looked at why Christianity. We had that one several times. Week three, last week, where is God in pain? That was a very, very hard week. There were a lot of tears last weekend. Uh, if you missed it, you can catch it on Spotify or, or Anchor. We're actually on like nine different podcast channels now somehow. Um, next week, to finish up the series, we're going to answer the question, is the Bible true? But this week, we are going to continue in this series, and we are going to look at, could God love a sinner like me? And this is a question that a lot of people have over the last year. And often when people ask this question, they kind of joke about it a little bit. And they, they, uh, they'll say, you know, if I came to a place like yours, lightning would strike. Or if I walked in the building, the, the earth would, would open up and, and drop. Um, but, you know, I've, I've heard for years that there's, there's kind of some seriousness in all jesting. That, you know, something's not funny if there's not some truth to it. Like, I can talk about the fact that we need to keep good fire, good, good batteries in, in our fire alarms because the way my wife cooks. She only knows the one setting, which is high. So, you know, that's, I told her it was coming, you know. Uh, or, or with my daughter, when you say, hey, how do I get to, to this spot, if you're asking directions, she will actually tell you a story that takes you all the way to New York before she brings you back to where you're going to be. You know, she goes to China to get, to, to get across the street. Um, but there's some truth in the, in, in the joke. And often when they say these things, you know, lightning would strike or the building would collapse, I think there's a seriousness behind what they're saying. What they're really saying is, could God actually love somebody like me? And they really want to know. You know, it's, it's hard for me. I just, I just uh, mentioned my daughter who would take you to New York to go across the street. It's hard for me to think about could God love a sinner like me and not think about my oldest daughter. <laughs> um, she doesn't know this is coming, so, but she'll listen online. And she, she already knows as my child that this is all fair game. Amanda was our rebellious child. She was our oldest, and from the day she was born, she had her own will, her own desire, the only way she wanted to do things. And uh, 
man, she would break rules just because they were rules. It's not even something she wanted to do, but if it was a rule, she'd try to break it. And she was our prodigal. She was disobedient. She lied. She uh, it got involved in a lot of risky behavior. Um, she did graduate from high school. She said she was going to drop out. She did graduate because a judge told her, I will not accept a GED from you, and I will extend jurisdiction over you till you're 21 if I have to, if I don't get a high school diploma out of you. So she did graduate. Later, she thanked him. It was really good for her to have that happen. Um, but when she graduated, she took off. She went to Michigan. We were still in, ten we were in Tennessee. She took off to Michigan, and we didn't hear from her for a long time. And she started by living with Meredith's mom. So we got updates there. But then she moved on to campus at a college, and we really didn't hear anything at all from our daughter. That was hard. Um, and she got involved in a lot of stuff that she knew that we weren't supporting. She got involved in a lot of drugs and a lot of alcohol and a real partying lifestyle. And one time our girls were talking. You know how you do those Facebook little things that, you know, you get one point for every state you've been at or, you know, one point if you've all done these bad things. And they started going through the, one of those, if you've done this, you get one point if you've been in a police car, if you've done this drug or whatever it is. And they started going through it and they started counting up the points and our oldest daughter started counting. I said, you got to stop. I can't hear this. I can't hear this. I ended up flying to Michigan at one point in time, taking her car from her because I was not going to give her a vehicle for her to be driving drunk and driving under the influence. And I remember when she moved back to Tennessee, um, there was a little bittersweet there when she moved back. She was wanting to come home, but she wasn't necessarily wanting to entirely change her life. And, uh, but I know that she had questions going through her mind. Could mom and dad ever love me? Could mom and dad accept me back? I even deserve to be loved. It was a rough transition, and we tried to love her well. As I said, she rebelled some more, and, and uh, we had to put up some boundaries. Don't want to knock that over. And, uh, but over time, the relationship began to heal. And you know, I remember when she said, I need to come home. She was in an abusive relationship. She said, I need to come home. We said, absolutely, baby, come home. And we met her at a restaurant because it was unsafe for us to pick her up from where she was. It was unsafe if we went on the property. And uh, we went and picked her up, and she found out very quickly that we loved her. <laughs> we loved her a lot. Um, and we wanted what was best for her, and we wanted her to succeed in her life. And we wanted her to become the incredible woman of God that God created her to be. You see, we loved the sinner, but we hated the sin. We loved Amanda. We do love Amanda. But we hated the behavior that she was involved in because it was hurting her. It was hurting us, but more importantly, it was hurting her. It was tearing her life apart. And I remember the hardest prayer we ever prayed. We prayed for a long time, God, pray that you protect Amanda that you would put a hedge of protection around her, that you would keep our daughter safe. And I remember the day that Meredith and I sat down and we said, all right, Lord, if you're protecting her on our account because we're asking for it, we remove that hedge. You do whatever you have to do to bring her back. 
And I, to this day, don't exactly know everything. She won't talk about it. But she came back. Now, the great part is, <laughs> is that uh, she has grown now. Just so you know the ending of this story here. She is an incredible wife, an incredible mother. She's an incredible woman of God. She leads a Bible study in her home. She did BBS this last summer in her backyard. Um, she is fantastic. She leads a homeschool group that's Christian-based, and uh, she has just become uh, a, great, a great woman of God. So God was faithful. But when you think about people like Amanda, who may have been fighting through some of that, and you think, well, what are the sins that I've done? What are the worst sins that you can think of? I mean, you know, you always think murder, right? Maybe armed robbery, uh, any type of a sexual sin. There's a bunch of those. Kidnapping. You know, there's several places in the Bible that give us lists of sins. And um, they range from, like, really, really serious sins to, like, gossip and disobeying your parents. And these are things that separate us from God. And uh, in Galatians chapter 5, there's a more serious list. You know, we don't see gossip. We don't see disobeying your parents. We don't see being ungrateful, which is listed in some places, or boastful. Here's a list of some of the things that if people were caught in these sins, they may very well ask the question, could God love a sinner like me? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, uh, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you read this list, people who may be involved in some of these activities would go, see, these are things of the flesh, that people who do these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So yeah, God couldn't love a sinner like me. Because you see that list, that is me. I am the one who does those things. And God could never love me. So there's four types of sin that we have listed here, and I want to go through these four types of sin, and they result, um, they are the result of the corruption of the human nature, and each one is seeking some form of fulfillment that God has designed a way that we would have that fulfillment through Him. So the first one is we seek physical fulfillment. It says sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. And this is both uh, adultery and fornication, any sexual act outside of marriage is what this is talking about here. The second one is seeking spiritual fulfillment, idolatry and sorcery. You know, um, here we're toying with things in the spiritual realm, things that, uh, that we don't need to be messing with. We're worshiping something that we shouldn't worship. Um, you know, we were created to worship. God gave us a spot in our heart that is designed worship and we replace worship for God with worship of other things even there's a guy named Abraham Maslow who came up with this theory it's called the hierarchy of needs and there were five layers of this hierarchy of needs and it starts with the most most just basic stuff and then it continues to go up from there and 
you know, helping others was like at the very, very top, is that you could be in a spot where you help others. And as he got older, he was a humanist. He said, you know what? I'm missing a level. There's a sixth spot that needs to go on top of this. And he called it transcendence. It's living for something bigger than yourself. Now, as a humanist, he wouldn't say that's God, but he, wa- he even recognized that we have to live our lives for something bigger than ourselves. And so we are designed to worship, and we worship things that pull us away from God. The third thing is personal fulfillment. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. All of these things are based in pride, in selfishness. These are the things that we want to prove to somebody, I'm in control. I am somebody. I am worth something. You notice all those I, I, I things? Very selfish-oriented. It's things that I want to do for me, that I want to be in control. They want to know. They want you to know that they are somebody. And then the last one is seeking carnal fulfillment, drunkenness and orgies. This is a total lack of control. This is where we just, we're turned over. The, the Bible says that, that God just turned them over to their desires. And that's the carnal desires. And you don't care who gets hurt. You don't care who gets in the way. You are going to go out and do what you want to do. And we're drawn to these things because we are trying to fill a hole in our lives that only God can fill. You see, we know that we're created to worship something. And we feel that void and we feel that pain. And we try to fill that with something. It may be drugs, it may be alcohol, but we've got to find something that'll make us feel better, something that'll make us feel like we have worth, something that'll make us feel like we have a purpose in our lives and that we matter to this world. And as I said, people could use this list as proof and they could say, see there, God couldn't love a sinner like me. They say, you don't know what I've done. I say, yeah, but you don't know my Jesus. You see, Jesus is the reason. He wants to give you a better life. He wants you to leave that junk and live differently for him. And that's the life that he offers, which has more fulfillment, more gratification than anything that this world can offer. And the Bible is full of people who were once something but became something else because of Christ. We have prostitutes in the New Testament. And what did they do? They came and they washed Jesus' feet with their tears or with oil. You have adulterers. One of the greatest men in the Bible, King David, was an adulterer. You've got drunks. Noah, after he was on the ship, ready to repopulate the earth, Noah was a drunkard. You have thieves. Matthew was a tax collector, and the way they collected money is they stole from other people. You have murderers, again, King David, after adultery, he went and murdered the, wife, the husband of the wife that he had had adultery with. But God, God changed their lives. Now let's look at three specific people that were in the intro video this morning. And let's see what God did for them. The first is the thief on the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's in the middle. There's a thief on either side. And the thief, we don't know his background, but we know he was a thief. He may have been raised in a family of thieves. He may, have, uh, he may have done misdemeanors his whole life. But this one, this was a felony. This one was a big deal. 
In fact, it probably included somebody getting uh, terminally injured because he was receiving the death penalty. And I think, I think of, the, of the story of, of the Good Samaritan where a guy was traveling between Jericho and Jerusalem and he was attacked by robbers and they stripped him and beat him and left him for dead. So I think of that. And wouldn't it be kind of cool for Jesus to actually have that be the thief next to him? And maybe it was a real story. It wasn't just a, it wasn't just a, uh, a story, but it was actually a real event that happened. But this was a violent crime. This wasn't computer hacking. This wasn't jaywalking. This was a violent crime, and he received the death penalty. But in the final of hours of his life, he encountered Jesus. He said, Jesus, remember me today when you get to your kingdom. And he found forgiveness. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And he found salvation. The second guy is a guy named Saul. We're all familiar with his later name in life, Paul, but Saul is who it started. Saul was actually named after the Jewish king, Saul. And in his early life, he was a murderer. He was a terrorist to the church. He was hunting after the people who were part of the way, who were following Christ. He hunted them down, and he took great pride. We see him the first time in Acts chapter 7 where he is guarding the clothes of the people who are stoning Stephen because Stephen was a follower of Christ. And in Acts chapter 9, it says that he was still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, and he went to the leaders of, the, of Israel, and he said, I want a letter that says I have the right to arrest people who are Christians. I want this letter to give me authority. And he left, and he took off to arrest people who were following Christ, and he was walking down to the road of Damascus, and a bright light shined, and he encountered Jesus. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Paul was blind for three days. Saul was blind for three days. And a man named Ananias heard about it and prayed. And the Lord sent this man named Ananias to talk to Paul, and scales fell from his eyes. And Paul took on his new name Saul, or excuse me, Saul took on his new name Paul. Instead of his Hebrew name, he took on the Roman version of his name Paul. And he found forgiveness. And he went back to his people, he went back to the synagogue, and he began proclaiming that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, as a man who was arresting people, Paul knew what he was getting into here. They were going to come after him, and they did. But he found salvation and he received a new calling on his life. And this Saul who was a murderer and a terrorist and all the junk that he did ended up writing half the New Testament. And the third woman, the third one is the woman that was caught in adultery. And we looked at her a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 8. And this is a woman who needed to feel loved. She needed to feel like she belonged. She's, she's on the ground. Men are ready to stone her. She's lost. She's worthless. She knows she's guilty. She knows she's condemned. But she encountered Jesus. And she found forgiveness. And she found salvation. Now, each one of these people has something in common. Their lives were opposed to the things of God. They were living to fulfill their own desires, 
They were walking according to the flesh, according to Galatians chapter 5, and they would not have inherited the kingdom. But they encountered Jesus, they found forgiveness, and they found salvation. Now, what if Jesus encountered these people not in spite of their brokenness, but because of their brokenness? You know, they're hopeless. They're helpless. They cried out, and God came. He heard their cry. Psalm 34 tells us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and we are all broken. The question is, does your, does your sin break your heart? There is no sin that's too big for God to forgive. But does your sin break your heart? And Jesus calls you to a new life. He didn't call you to a new life so you could continue to live in your old life. He has a plan to replace the old junk in your life with a new life. And we learn about that as we continue to read in Galatians chapter 5. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. See, we no longer live by the works of the flesh. Instead of looking for physical fulfillment, we live through love. And we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And instead of having all this junk that we're trying to do for ourselves so that we feel like we're whole, we have joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. See, God calls us to live in humility and to serve others and not always be about us. And instead of lack of control, we get self-control. Not fulfilling our carnal desires, but living a life that glorifies God and displaying godly fruit. And our passions, our desires have been crucified with Christ. And we are raised up as new people. And it says, if we claim to live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, if you have asked this question ever, could God love a sinner like me? Look at those three people. Look at me. Yes, God can love a sinner like you. Absolutely. Jesus changed their lives. And he can change yours. God loved each of these people and God loves you. He suffered. He endured torture. He endured shame. He endured death. But he overcame all of that. He rose from the grave to bring his children home. And he did this because he loves them, and he did it because he loves you. And he has a plan for you. You see, Jesus didn't call us to a new life, so we can continue to live in our old life. And people in the New Testament, you know, they used to ask, what must I do to be saved? Often people today say, well, what can I do and still be saved? That's not the way this is supposed to work. This isn't about keeping your life and fitting Jesus in there somewhere. It's about submitting your life to Christ and gaining a new life. See, Jesus wants to change your life. He wants to give you real fulfillment and real purpose, things that this world can't offer. He wants to give you a hope and a future. And today's question, could God love a sinner like me? Absolutely, yes. God could love a sinner like you because he loves a sinner like me. But you have to decide if you want to remain a sinner like you or if you want a different life that can only be found in Christ. 
You see, you can encounter Jesus, you can find forgiveness, and you can find salvation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be loved by you. Thank you for uh, a new life. Lord, let us live lives that are worthy of your calling. And Lord, let us go share that with others. The people in Cape Coral who feel like they're not loved, they're not worthy, that you could never love them. Lord, send us to go and share your love with them. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name.